0: Welcome to the Situation Report today. This is the show where we do our very best every single week to give you the information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. Today we're going to talk about that word culture just a little bit. My name is Jeremy Stolnecker here with Chad Robichaux, and uh, always glad to have you with us wherever it is you are listening or watching from. Thank you for joining us. Today we're going to uh, jump right into our topic with our guest, but we're going to be discussing culture and the narrative around culture. And really, you hear this phrase often, cultural narrative. And we understand that the person or the group of people that control the conversation control culture. And we're going to talk about that with a great guest today. We are honored to have with us John Reed. John Currently is the host of news radio, WRVA's daily morning drive time talk show. That's a mouthful, John. Uh, But John's background, his bio is fascinating. We were just talking about this a minute ago. And instead of trying to tell you myself what John has done, John, if you could tell us your story, I would love to hear it. Uh, You've done everything from one end to the other, including being an Eagle Scout. So there's, there's a lot of life there. Uh, can you share that with us? We'd love to hear, hear your story, how you got involved in really this broader cultural conversation.
1: Yeah, You know, I always wanted to uh, do television. And for a while there, that was my focus, was doing um, radio and TV. And I managed to intern at a number of TV stations early on, went uh, to Baylor University in Waco, Texas, which was, uh, you know, completely new for me to go to a state like Texas. I grew up here in Virginia and my father was running for office here in Virginia. And I was like, I do not want to be the son of the guy running for office in my home state. So, you know, you, you break away from your family and you go to a place like Texas, which was interesting to me because it was one of the things I still love about Texas is their independent spirit. They truly believe they're another country just uh, with the moniker of statehood, <laughs> you know, and I, I kind of like that. But when you talk about uh, a cultural narrative, Texas has that and their own narrative that that applies to them. That they then spread. The acolytes who go all around the country spread that. I went upon graduation and worked in the press office uh, for former, at that time, former President Ronald Reagan in Los Angeles, and then started a ten-year career as a TV reporter, an investigative reporter. Uh, I. After a decade, I thought, do I want to read the teleprompter for the rest of my life? Heck no. Um, so I went to go work for Senator George Allen uh, in the U.S. Senate. who's on the Farm Relations Committee. It was a great three or four years uh, at the Capitol. And then I kind of bounced all around the world working for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and then later for a big public relations firm. And probably a lot of the folks who uh, watch this program uh, we'll know Kuwait. I was in. I was assigned to Kuwait and then uh, to Bahrain for a little while. All during the Arab Spring, uh, kind of a difficult time to to be in those regions. And and I tell you, one of the reasons I wanted to get back into broadcasting was I began to see in the time that I was in the Middle East the real deception that was taking place in the communication of what. I would have expected, based on my experience here in the United States, to be just straight factual information. And I, I hate to, and I, don't, I don't want to do anything that inflames the situation in the United States. But I'll tell you, I, I see some parallels to the way the news is being presented here in the United States with either total spin or total deception to what I saw when I was there in the Arab Spring, where Different groups of people looked to subcategory news sources for their appreciation of what was going on in their society, in their community, and either through omission or embellishment, they could be moved to vote a certain way, react a certain way, riot at certain times, love certain people, hate certain people, and man... When, when I was in Bahrain and saw the effort to depose the entire royal family there, I mean, I'm not stupid. They're, some of them are not the greatest, nicest people in the world, but they're sure it's heck a lot better than uh, some of the zealots that would have taken over uh, and, and, and been very difficult. I came back home and I thought, man, I am seeing that same behavior from the media here. And then Donald Trump arrives and, then it was on steroids. It was uh, a media that would deliberately obscure certain stories, deliberately embellish certain stories. Some things that, uh, let's just take President Biden now. President Biden can make a comment that you know maybe if you're giving the guy the benefit the benefit of the doubt, he just slipped up and didn't use the right words. I mean, we all do that. I, I do four hours of radio every day, and not everything comes out as I would like for it to come out. So you know you want to give Joe Biden, Republican or Democrat, the old mindset in this America is give him give him the benefit of a doubt. Don't assume the worst. And I'm fine with that as long as we do it for both sides. But the thing is that Joe Biden says today, not to make this hyper political, are things that would have caused Donald Trump to be crucified. And I, 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 on my program, I'm pretty honest with everybody that I'm a Republican. I've worked as a Republican communicator. I'm, You know, I've been with conservative groups around the world, but I'd like to uh, be even handed in both my assessment of what's going on and me calling out the the mainstream press for not being upfront about what they're doing, whether they're obscuring something or embellishing it to try to uh, push people one direction or another.
0: I wanted to take a minute to let our audience know about the work that we do through an incredible veterans nonprofit called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Many of our nation's warriors struggle with the hardships of military service and reintegration back into civilian life. Often they leave broken homes in their aftermath and comprise one of the most at-risk groups for suicide with over 20 veterans who take their lives every single day. Mighty Oaks tackles this critical issue with our faith-based peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery programs offered at no cost to our honored service men and women at beautiful ranches across the United States. Mighty Oaks has one of the highest success rates of any program available anywhere. Visit mightyoaksprograms.org to learn more about how you can make a direct impact in the lives of our service men and women to help them find a new life purpose through hope in Christ. Again, that's mightyoaksprograms.org. Witnessing the transformation that these men and women go through is absolutely incredible. There are no words to describe seeing warriors restored to the lives they were created to live, changing their legacies. For eternity. Your support is needed now more than ever, and we'll ensure that our programs are here for our warriors who are in desperate need. Again, the website is Mighty Oaks Programs.org.
2: Yeah. I think you we you look at journalism, journalism has really shifted to propaganda, which is so dangerous for our country. We talk about the word uh, you know cultural narrative, and as preparing for this, I'm like, I've heard that word a lot, but What's it actually mean? So what's the word cultural narrative actually mean? And then, uh, and then how do we feel like conservatives, what do we need to do to win back control of the narrative uh, from, from the left who clearly has control right now?
1: Yeah, I, I think a couple of things are happening that should give us a little bit of hope. If you look back even 10 years ago what would you have considered to be a conservative news outlet? Maybe the wall street journal, maybe Fox news channel, and you know, a handful of local newspapers. I mean, that's probably it. Now you're beginning to see some newspapers online because the internet appears to be something that's leveling the playing field. You don't have to be a multi multimillionaire to, to, uh, Put put together some professional material and distribute it to millions of people. The internet is providing the opportunities for uh, journalists who have a different perspective to approach stories and get them out. I, I check the Daily Caller and other you know online publications on a regular basis because you know part of it is as a reporter you're supposed to be aware of what's going on around you with a sense of neutrality and. And an appreciation for hey, you know, I'd use Donald Trump and Joe Biden again as an example. If Donald Trump said this, I'd be all over it. Am I am I being intellectually honest enough with myself that if Joe Biden says something similar, I'll jump on it, and I will manage that story the same way? And it's clear that the Washington Post, the New York Times, a lot of the other newspapers. I, I hate to say this, but our our statewide paper here in Richmond, which I used to just love, and I still have a lot of friends who work there who are journalists and photographers and editors there. It, it is just coming at it from a leftist perspective and they have no interest in uh, promulgating conservative stories. So what do you do in that situation? You've got to create your own outlets so that the stories that you care about do get covered and that they're covered fairly and that the other side of the story is presented. Hopefully it doesn't go so far. I got got myself in a little bit of trouble this weekend because I know you you saw the story about the um, women's soccer team supposedly turning away during the national anthem. And then it turned into this back and forth of, were they looking at the flag? Were they not looking at the flag? The first story said that it was an insult. The second story said it wasn't. I don't know. I'll tell you, having been a PR guy, the first thing that the you know, the US Olympic Committee would do is call in a PR guy like how can we spin this or fix it so that we don't lose endorsements and we don't lose eyeballs during the Olympics. So I'm not sure what actually occurred, but I hope that all of us on the conservative side of the spectrum will be aggressive in reporting stories that we think are important to our cultural perspective and our listeners and our readers but we'll also be intellectually honest about what we're doing. And I, if I had one fear here, it's that any Yahoo can get on um, the internet and they can create something that looks like a legitimate website. And if there is no commitment to truth, they can lie. And it takes a long time to figure out that the lie is out there and you'll never touch everybody. I wish that the the mainstream press had that same commitment that I'm advocating for our, our conservatives to have, too.
0: When we we discuss you know, narrative control, um, and I think when we're talking about cultural narrative and who controls the cultural narrative, what we're really saying is who's telling the story of what's happening in culture right now and who gets to yeah. interpret that and filter that? Would you say that's pretty accurate? It's who's controlling what's happening right now? Uh, not what's happening, I guess, but how the story is being told. Would you say that's that's a fair we talk oh, yeah. about cultural narrative, that's what we're talking about, right?
1: Yeah. Look at uh, one of the most important jobs in a newsroom is to be the assignment editor, right? You know, there are a thousand things that are happening in Dallas, Texas, or in Richmond, Virginia, 10,000 things that you could cover in Washington, D.C. And whether it's a newspaper or a 30-minute newscast or a show like this where we've got a half hour to talk, you got to whittle it down. And it's about your pro whoever's on that desk making that decision is going through all the press releases, all the stories and picking what the readers, the listeners, the viewers are going to see. And it is, I think there was a mindset of fairness that existed, I, you know, at least 25 years ago when I first started in journalism. of uh, I'm not stupid. They were they were pretty much all left of center people who were working in the newsrooms. I think that's who's attracted to that. But they were much more objective about the stories they were picking. I don't think that's the case now. I think it's totally a, a menu from the left wing interest um, intersection rather than the the right wing, and and thus most of the population consumes news that drives that narrative. You know, for example, you if if there is a protest that involves violence in front of an abortion clinic today, it is going to be the lead story on the local news. It could well be a front page or regional story in one of the major national newspapers. If there is an pro-life march with a thousand people and a prominent pastor who has 10, 20,000 people You know signed up as members of their church that probably isn't going to make it in the newscast at all and it isn't the difference between a peaceful protest and violence it's the subject matter and i think that's what's been lost in this discussion i mean when was the last time you cut on the news and heard a right-wing martin luther king or a left-wing martin luther king it's just people of faith have been removed from the cultural discussion mainstream wise And a lot of the right wing leaders, um, uh, Republican leaders, conservative leaders who are not politicians have been removed from that conversation, too.
0: So how do we, instead of just playing defense against that, which is what most of us typically find ourselves doing, well, that's not true. That's not how it was. That's not. How do we, you know, in an offensive way, um, hold people accountable who are intentionally either misrepresenting the truth or just blatantly um, spreading, you know, falsehoods? locally, nationally, and globally. What, what can we do in an offensive way to get the narrative back, I guess is the kind of the heart of the question.
1: Yeah. Well, here's the nice answer, and this is what I hope will work. I was a reporter for, you know, 12 years. It didn't bother me at all when someone came up to me on a story and said, hey, do you know the scoop here? Do you know what's going on behind the scenes? Let me tell you what's going on behind the scenes. And I think a lot of people are scared of reporters or they, quite frankly, they hate reporters so much that they're not willing to talk to them. And I don't think I'm naive having been around these people a lot. I think many of these reporters, especially the, you know, the the kind of the ones who aren't looking for a byline and they don't want to be on MS, MSNBC every night, you know, they just want to do solid work. If they are approached by, people who are associated with these stories to share with them a different perspective with an email, a phone call, a personal conversation that doesn't start with, hey, I hate you. (laughs) You know, that starts with, let me give you the background here. We may have some influence in the way these stories are covered. Not from all of them. I mean, I dealt with some when I was a PR guy in DC, where I always started out with the idea that they were going to shoot fair and then I unfortunately found out that they weren't, and then, then they went into a different category so i think I think engaging with that press corps is uh the the first thing to do, and we should try that secondly uh there are a lot of groups that are beginning to as I mentioned generate their own content, and I think that's important um i I talk about this a lot on my show every morning um conservatives and conservative business owners and big business, they're, they're all scared of left-wing activists because left-wing activists do exact revenge on people that they think have crossed them. Uh, I don't like that. I don't, I don't think that's healthy in a civilized society, in and in, a, in, in, in the type of society, free society that we want to live in. We should be able to share our opinions without getting hammered. But big business and conservatives and local business, they're scared of the left-wing activist. I think that maybe we need to flex a little bit here and say, you know what? Conservatives are at least 50% of the society, maybe a little bit more, probably a little bit more. And if you don't represent us well, we're going to let you know it. And it might hurt your bottom line a little bit. I, I don't like the whole... Uh, uh, boycott thing. You know, they could do that to me. In fact, people have tried to do that to me with my radio show. So I don't want to advocate that, but I do think letting businesses know how you feel, whether it's the newspaper or those who were the big advertisers for the newspaper, that's got to have an impact. It seems to be working for the leftists.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I like to speak up when I can. Speaking of that, you know, the the media isn't the only people being influenced by the left. Uh, as you said, corporate America is, and I, you know, I kind of believe that corporate America has really just they bet on leftist ideologies being the way forward and, and going to stick around. So they've kind of put all their chips in to get behind leftist ideologies. I mean, we see companies like Nike and and uh, you know and and everybody jumped on the Pride Month bandwagon. Everybody's logos turned turned rainbow, and you know it, it just uh, it seems to be the corporate America uh, has went went along with this being woke uh, mentality. And uh I think they really believe that that's the majority of america uh how does How does the rest of the country um overcome overcome that with these leftist institutions? How does left the rest of the country uh able to let these companies know and and that that's not where they you know th- that's not where their beliefs are yeah
1: well the the financial incentive or disincentive is important, but it's so. Awful, you know. I worked for President Reagan post White House, and I remember thinking, "Man, the Berlin Wall is coming down. The Soviet Union is breaking up. We've won. We've won." So somebody like me—I'm fifty years old now. I was twenty-something when I worked for President Reagan. I look back on that, and I was like, "You know what? We, we, and and I include myself in this bunch. We took our eye off the ball. We thought we had won, and we weren't paying attention to the growing crisis in our own culture." Because now you've had 20 years of HR managers who, you know, I mean, who, who goes to school to get a degree in human resources? In general, it's people to the left of center, probably way to the left of center. And they are selecting people for management roles and senior positions who represent their, their policies, their philosophies. So now we've kind of reached and it and it's like cold water in my face the last couple of years, we've reached a place where a lot of these C suite managers and executives um have been indoctrinated into the woke philosophy. And that is a part of their uh, that, that's a part of their mindset the way they run their business. You know, it's it's funny, the the, the rainbow thing with um Gay Pride Month in June man, I used to say what's chick-fil-a doing chick-fil-A you probably want to sell chicken to everybody right so why are you you know why is anybody even associated with the company wading into the culture wars even if they believe very strongly about it that that's kind of the America I grew up with, probably you too, right you know there's a business doesn't wade into anything that will polarize part of their audience and I think we need to accept that ain't for the arrangement now that's it you know it's changed so i, I yeah just sell running shoes and don't talk about China to be honest with you, yeah, we make them in China because they're cheaper there that's wh- that's why we're not getting into the domestic politics instead of doubling down on endorsing communist china or uh I mean personally, I don't think all these companies should be taking the month of June and rebranding everything that they do i you know right or wrong a lot of a lot of people don't need to. Have that as a part of their regular conversation. I think that's fair. And it's, uh, but the only way to make a change in the C-suite, quite frankly, is for the companies to see some sort of problem with the bottom line. And fortunately, at the moment, conservatives still have uh, a powerful pocketbooks and a large enough numbers where articulating that calling, emailing and letting your dollars do your talking can have an impact on that. Remember, I mean, when I was communications director in the Senate, one of my jobs every Thursday was to prepare the brief for the senator on Friday of who had written to him, who had had called. You know, we we got 10,000 phone calls and here's what they were talking about. And they either loved you for a position you took or they hated you for a position you took. I'm not saying that he would change his mind based on that, but it's important for people to know as they as they plot the future, how that's playing. And a lot of conservatives, I think, are not activists. They don't want to pick up the phone. They don't want to hit that uh, send button on an email. They don't want to put the time into doing that. And I'm telling you, the leftists have proven that that does work.
0: Another great conversation, but before we continue, I wanted to introduce you to one of our sponsors. Great to have them on board with us. This is the MuttVet family. Mutt Vet, they are the very first crypto token for veterans by veterans. Uh, Mutt M-U-T-T, that is the Marines United Twoful Token. If you're not familiar with Two Full, it's Tufel Hunden. that is the devil dogs, it goes all the way back to World War I. Marines, understand that if you're a Marine listening, you get it. And this is a token for veterans by veterans. If you've not yet looked at blockchain technology and cryptocurrency, you need to. If you listen to this show, we've had conversations about this in the past. This is not financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor, nor would I encourage you to do something just because I tell you to. <laughs> but if you haven't looked at it, uh, certainly this is a conversation taking place globally, and you need to take a look. And this is a good place to focus. If you are interested, uh, I would certainly encourage you to go and check out MuttVet. For those that own this and participate, the MuttVet family may occasionally reward its holders with airdrops, new holder referral bonuses, as well as donation incentives. Uh, There are so many places that you can get involved in cryptocurrency, and I would encourage you to take a look at MuttVet, www.MuttVet.com. John, I sometimes wonder um, what Ronald Reagan would say right now if he were uh, still here and on this side of critical race theory and uh, the gender issues and all this culture stuff we're dealing with right now. I wonder how he'd communicate through that because uh, he had such uh, an ability to communicate across the aisle and to somehow make both sides understand that there was a center that we needed to agree upon. Uh, we're at a, a very different place now than we were when, when President Reagan was in office. Uh, but what do we do? I, and this isn't about making everyone think the way that we think, but how do we communicate across the aisle? How do we come to some kind of an agreement in culture that there is a center and we need to learn how to get along and learn how to communicate with each other? What do we do to kind of move that ball forward?
1: And the Reagan question I think of every morning because here I've got this platform with the radio show. And so many times as I get ready for the show, I'm thinking, Oh man, we are losing. We, this is terrible. The stories that I'm talking about are terrible stories. You know, uh, the, the uptick in crime, we had 10 people killed in shot and killed in Richmond last weekend. So on, on Tuesday morning, when we came back on the air, I'm thinking, all right, how do I talk about this in a way that lays bare the ugly reality, but still gives my listeners, whether I've got them for 10 minutes or an hour or the whole four hours of the show, at the end of the program, they're not devastated and giving up on society. They actually want to engage in a positive way. And I, I, you know, I, I I think that was one of the great communication elements of Ronald Reagan was Think about it the 70s were pretty lousy especially the end of the 70s economically socially things were not going well in america and while jimmy carter president carter probably was a decent person he was not able to rally the public to greater things to noble aspirations to work hard and have faith in the country and in and and in themselves and i uh, is one of the reasons that I like you guys at Mighty Oaks. I'm telling you, is every interaction that I've had with anyone associated with you, and uh, the documentary that you did, the 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 mailers that you send out, the things that you have uh, on on the internet. There's some tough, really um, devastating issues that your folks are dealing with, but you're always shining the flashlight. Like here's the direction. Here's where we go. Here's where we get out of this. And I think doubling down on a lot of the traditional values that we've had uh, in this country, uh, explaining why capitalism works, uh, explaining the importance of family, um, I, I think people are going to get that. All too often, and I, I got to watch this myself, we come across as angry white guys. You know That's the label they've given us. And I have to look in the mirror at the end of the show and say, was, not, was I an angry white guy, a stereotypical angry white guy today? Or uh, was I, I'm not sure that I'm ready to be the senior statesman, uh, elder pastor at the church, not ready to take on that role, but was I shining the flashlight as you all do to show people, hey, the, the cave is coming in around you. The tunnel is collapsing. Here's how we get to the
2: other side. Yeah. yeah that's awesome yeah thanks for say- thanks for saying that too by the way
0: yeah it's it's interesting because we talk about that a lot it's It's one thing to point out the problem we know there's a problem um, but the real question is what is the solution and yeah. i think if, if we're not able to do that then we lose
2: it's kind of all a of these w- arguments deliberate decision we make as organization is we're always we're always going to point to the solution we're never going to just you know just talk about the problem yeah and-, and and when it comes to the country, the solutions are there i mean we've got there is a group that's
1: trying to discredit everything that has worked in this country. And that's a real challenge. That's, a, that's hand-to-hand combat there. They do want to undermine everything that we believe in that has been successful. Uh, I, I think that we can hold up a lot of stories for the minority community, for women, for gay men and women, for, you know, you pick whatever group appears to be subdivided in this country and relegated to minority status. I think we've got uh, data and anecdotes that will give them hope that we can help them to that light. We just got to, we just got to stay focused on that, not react in an angry way.
2: I believe, I believe that's, you know, one of the things that needs to be communicated is that's what America is. You know, like one of the things that really chapped me during this uh, great gay pride month was not the anything towards gays or towards but it was seeing the rainbow flag flown next to the American flag. And the reason it bothered me, not because of the, the rainbow flag bothers me, it, it separated a group of people in our country that have the same liberty and, and justice provided for them under that red, white, and blue. They don't need another flag. That flag that flag includes them. That flag in, includes white people, black people, yellow people, brown people, rich people, gay people. That flag includes freedom for everyone. And anytime you you put something next to that flag you're saying it's not enough and in the in that this country is uh is divided and it's not i
1: completely agree with you and i don't we didn't talk about this in my bio but i'm a gay guy and i had the same reaction you did i don't want to be subdivided out uh you know there's certainly situations that i could share with you that have been unpleasant that <laughs> you know i've probably lost some jobs because of that okay i mean people lose people lose opportunities for a variety of different reasons, and I regret that. But I still believe that that American flag, that American promise applies to me, and I think we're getting closer and closer to where that issue, when I say it and articulate it to a group like your audience, it's not a disqualifier, unless I want it to be, unless I want to walk away and, and, uh, and behave in a way that drives people away from me.
2: Yep, it's, it's, you're exactly right. It's, that flag is inclusive of, of everyone, um, of all beliefs, of all religions, of every, however yeah. we grew up and however we choose to live. It, that's inclusive for all of us. And that's, that's what I, as a veteran, that's what I fought for. And, yeah. uh, and that's what that flag stands for.
0: And That's what we need to get back to. John, yeah. uh, spoken so well, I think you're exactly right. It's, you know, we have problems. Let's figure out what the solution is and move there together. Um, yeah. Man, I appreciate your insights so much. Uh, where can people follow you, find out more about you, uh, I was on your Facebook page earlier. You've got a lot of commentary there. Uh, where do you want to point people to so they can follow what you're doing?
1: I'm always trying to drive up my numbers on Facebook. Until, <laughs> you know we Donald all? It's <laughs> perfect where we won't get bumped. And I have not been blocked. I've not been suspended. I don't know. Maybe they're not paying close enough attention to me. <laughs> or, or, or I am walking the line and not getting myself in trouble. But the John Reed Show, WRVA on Facebook, of course, I broadcast my show from 6 to 10 every morning. Uh, on WRVA.com. It's, uh, it's, a pretty big, uh, legacy, huge flamethrower of a radio station, you know, 50,000 watt voice of Virginia in Richmond, Virginia. So one of the legacy stations that you can hear, uh, up and down the East Coast, 1140 AM WRVA.com. And I'm, listen, I was so impressed by your, uh, documentary that I got a chance to see, uh, at your red carpet premiere. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I'm I'm, I'm really flattered to be included in in the projects that you're working on. I really appreciate the invitation.
2: We're so glad found out you were there. there. Yeah,
0: it's, uh, you know, something else we could talk all day and we're going long now, but um, you were um, with uh, the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America for a while. And so uh, uh, your connection to us and and the work we do in veterans is, uh, man, appreciate the work you're doing and and being out on the front lines on that. Thank you for doing it. Yeah,
1: I was, it was one of the best periods of time in my life. I worked real hard, uh, in with a team at IAVA on the suicide prevention bill that went through the Senate. It was a token amount of money. God, I wish we could have gotten more money, but it, it was it, again, it was cold water in my face to see what vets are dealing with when they come back and how often it. I mean, it's just easy to ignore. And if anybody deserves the attention of the federal government and the financing of the federal government, it's the folks who put their lives on the line. And I, I consider it to be one of the highlights of my career to be able to to play some small part in trying to shine a, attention on that issue and get, get some money to help people.
0: John, John Reed, so. thank you very much. Hopefully we can do this again soon. I'd love it, thanks guys. So thankful for John's perspective on these issues. Uh, man, such a diverse background that really there probably is no one better to speak on culture. And Controlling the narrative. I'm glad we could have this conversation. So, So many wonderful things were said, but I want to boil down just a few key thoughts for you in today's Situation Report. First of all, we understand that someone is controlling the narrative. What does that mean? It means that the story that is being told about culture is being controlled. It's being controlled often by individuals or groups of people who may be opposed to you and to me in terms of philosophy and how we understand the world. So we have to understand there is someone controlling the information that we are receiving. What do we do about that? That's number two. We must stand up for what we believe in. And again, John explained this in in terms that we can understand. This isn't about being rude or unkind. This is about simply standing up for what we believe to be true. We have to use the voice that we have been given. Again, this is a point we come back to uh, again and again and again. But finally, he wrapped this up so well. What do we do as we're standing up for what we believe in? We need to learn how to point to the light, as John said. Uh, We may have different opinions and different views. There may be two sides to the narrative that is taking place. But the best way to find the middle, the best way to find the common ground with other people is to acknowledge that there are problems to identify the light or to identify the solutions and to begin moving forward toward those solutions together. There is a path forward, but it's going to require a tremendous amount of work and focused communication, but we can do it. And that is today's Situation Report. Again, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you next time.